You're listening to the free preview episode of On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. To hear the entire episode, go to patreon.com forward slash Karen Geyer, K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R, and sign up. It's only $5 for the entire series. This is On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. Season 3, Episode 10, Jehovah's Witnesses and Children. We have covered the Jehovah's Witnesses several times on this show before. What we haven't always done a deep dive on is the experience of growing up within the organization, meaning what happens when you go from being a child within the organization to the natural craziness that is adolescence in the organization? And what happens if you don't fit in to a very, very narrow definition of what a teen or an adult should be within the organization? With me today is Nita Samola, who was born into the church and wanted to tell her story about going through the process of growing up and also being disfellowshipped. Welcome, Nita. Nita, let's go back to the beginning. Will you describe for me, were you born into the church or did you join later? I was born into it. My mother uh, actually got involved with the witnesses when she was pregnant with me. And uh, I think that was a huge factor in her getting involved with them. Um, She was 24. She was on her own, um, kind of estranged from family because of her upbringing and just, you know, kind of freaking out about this, this pregnancy and and this change in her life. And, uh, and they came knocking on her door and uh, making a bunch of promises. And uh, I think it was just, you know, the the community and these these nice ladies always visiting her and and trying to help her that just kind of pulled her in. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so when I was I was born, she was she was already full well into it. What's your earliest memory of being part of the witnesses? Honestly, going to going to meetings. It's uh, it's it's funny too. Is that when I when I talk about it with people, I, I usually will say, refer to it as oh yeah, I went to church or I went this, but like it the 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 language for Jehovah's Witnesses is, is very is very specific. They make a point of really separating themselves from like all other Christianity. So. Um, you know, you would go to meetings at the Kingdom Hall. And um, that that very much, I, I remember that. Um, I remember, uh, and, and I mean, it's just like a regular, it's like going to church, you sing your songs, and some man talks at you for an hour, and then you go home. But that's, that's what I remember. I just, I remember always going in and, and definitely singing songs, and then just getting a lot of praise for being, you know, a good, quiet little girl, <laughs> and then going, and then going home. And that was, that was pretty much it. And then going out in, in service, which a lot of people will know about Jehovah's Witnesses coming and knocking on their, on their doors. My job was to ring the doorbell from, I remember just, yeah, learning to walk and walking up to the, that was my one job that I could do was ring the doorbell. I mean, I was probably being taken out as a baby. Um, it's it's like it was always something that I was doing, like as far back as I can remember, my involvement was 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 doing that very much. When you're outdoor knocking, were you close to your home? 
Yeah. So the way it's, it's broken up is, um, you know, each congregation sort of has uh, territories that they, that they cover. Um, so they're within your city. So you're not going far, but you could go to the other end of the city and go to a neighborhood that you're not currently living in. Um, usually a good idea because <laughs> the people in your neighborhood might not like you so much if you're constantly coming and bothering them on a Saturday morning. So it was kind of recommended that you go um, elsewhere, but you're not you're not going like, you know, to cities or, or places out of town like that would be considered missionary work, which some people did. But that was like specialty work, not your everyday kind of thing. How long were those days for you when you were ringing doorbells? It, I mean, it kind of depends on how the adults are feeling that day. It, normally, you're up at like, gosh, you'd be up at like seven o'clock getting ready. Um, you would meet eight, nine o'clock with your group and then uh, be out for a few hours, usually break for coffee around 11 or 12. And then some people would go back out for the afternoon for a few more hours. Um, and then other people would just kind of cap it after lunch and go home. So it could be, you know, three hours, it could be seven, um, if you end up going in the afternoon. Uh, usually the morning was more just door to door work. And then in the afternoon would be what we call calls. Um, do you have calls as you ask people? And uh, that was follow up. So you went to somebody's door and had a good conversation. And now you're going to go back and, and just continue following up with this individual. So, so far in your week, you have meetings and you have service. Were there any other uh, organization related activities that you participated in during the week? The meetings themselves took up a lot of your time, um, at least three days a week. So um, for our particular congregation, it was Tuesday uh, Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, um, and then Sundays, um, and, and then also Saturday service, and then sometimes Sunday service. So that was like a lot of your time was taken up by that. I mean, that's by design. Um, and uh, then you would have um, conventions. So you would have your district conventions and your circuit uh, conventions, and uh, those would be a few times a year as well, where um, not just your congregation, but all the congregations in your district or your circuit would all get together and do the exact same thing you would do at a regular meeting, but with everybody. And uh, and, and then the bigger ones you'd have in the summer, those would be the, the big conventions in the summer that you would have everybody from the region would be coming in. And those would be several days. That would be a weekend. It would usually be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday that you would have to sometimes even travel out of town. Um, I was living, um, I grew up in, in Vancouver, British Columbia, and so we would sometimes have to go all the way up north to, to Kamloops for three days for these conventions. We have this idea in our minds of what Sunday school was like, you know, sort of that Simpsons idea. Is that what it's like in the Jehovah's Witnesses? As children, you're not really um, separated in, in the learning. They really involve you from the get-go to be doing what the adults are doing. You're being trained, really. So there's not necessarily a, a Sunday school. There's actually um, what's referred to as the theocrat theocratic ministry school. Um, and that's what everybody attends. And in the ministry school, you are you're going to school for ministry. That's, your, that's what you're learning. So you're, you're learning, um, you know, what to say to people when they, when, when they come to the door or, you know, how to, how to get around people like who aren't interested. That was a big thing. If somebody says, I'm not interested in they would always have examples of how you can get past somebody who is not interested and how do you follow up and how do you dig in and, and get them interested in that sort of thing. So that's very much what the, what the ministry school was. It, it, was, it was training. Everything else would be considered like a Sunday school. All, all, you'd have book studies. We had our book studies on, our, on Thursday where we would um, go through each book of the Bible and study that specific book. 
um, every Thursday. And then Sunday was just your general sermon. But that was also very much like Sunday school because there's a question and answer period. So you would read the Watchtower and, uh, you know, each paragraph would have a follow up question. So we just read this paragraph. Now we're going to ask a question pertaining to what you just read and somebody would raise their hand and answer. So the whole thing is very much about educating you in the Bible. Was your mother strict with you growing up? Yeah, she was strict in that, like her her upbringing was 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 very traumatic, and you know she lost her mother at a very young age. Um, you know her her father remarried very quickly afterward. She didn't have a good relationship with her stepmother. Um, she left home, you know, at a, as a teenager and you know, didn't look back. And uh, when she got pregnant with me, the relationship that she had started to redevelop with her with her family had was you know. Uh, shaken a little bit. Um, so she she was strict in that she felt that this was uh, a very important thing in our lives and this is what would fix all of the problems. So it was it was just very important. You have to follow the rules because this is what we're doing. And I I think just my nature as a child was uh, I was I was a fearful child. I was easily scared. I was I was I was gullible and I would believe the adults around me. I was always just willing to do what it took and I, I would scare myself. So she didn't really have to be too strict. Um, she also was just, it was just her and me. So it wasn't very difficult for her to just be like, no, you can't do this. No, you can't have birthdays. No, you can't associate with these children. No, you can't do that. But I didn't see it as strict as a kid. I just saw it as, oh, well, of course, because we do this and this is our life. So she, she was, she had her own views of the Bible as well. There were certain things that she just wouldn't accept. And she kind of like did her own mental gymnastics to get around it. Um, like in terms of homosexuality, she was always just like, yeah, I know the Bible says whatever, but like, you know, people are people and you can't judge a person by like what their life experience is. So she'd always just kind of be like, yeah, I don't really have a problem with it. Same thing with abortion, which is a big no, no with Jehovah's witnesses. But she was like, but you don't know a woman's situation. So you can't really like judge. So there were there were things that she was you know hard on like no we don't celebrate birthdays we don't celebrate holidays we don't do these things and no no and you don't associate outside of the religion but also big no nos within the religion she was always just kind of like yeah I know what they say but whatever kids process stories particularly biblical stories or those kinds of stories in different ways so was the threat of eternal hellfire a huge deterrent for you or not so much? 100%. Yes, definitely. <laughs> that was that was that was fully that was fully a thing. I I was always really worried about what would happen when Armageddon came. You know, was I doing enough? Would it be okay? Just this one bad thing that I did is is that going to be a problem now? And am I not going to like make it past Armageddon? Um, and especially too, because um, you're you're essentially taught that at death that's it there there's nothing after you die there's that that's the end of you there's no consciousness there's no going on past that there is nothing this is the short time that you have so if you die at armageddon that's like oh well that you're you're hooped um so i was i was always terrified that all of my my friends and my my family would go on and i would be left behind um I, I remember, and not even just as a small child, I remember I was, I was probably about 15 years old. It was the, like maybe June, springtime, and it just started hailing for some reason. And I had a moment of panic of 
this is such a drastic change. Like it's hailing what's going on. It's, it was nice and sunny out and all of a sudden the weather changed. Is this the end of the world? Oh no. Am I going to make, and I, there was this, I worried myself into this frenzy and then stopped hailing and the day went on and I was, everything was fine, but it, it was enough to, to really scare me. And, uh, that was that was a constant thing in the back of my head all the time um and it it really it uh it frightened me into staying um but it i think it also kind of warped my <laughs> my thinking um later on i don't i don't really think long term i never thought long term i didn't think about graduating high school i didn't think about going to college i didn't think about being 30 and you know having to go about my life it was never something that i that i even thought was going to happen in this world. When other ex-witnesses have been on the show, they've talked about how the prediction of the end of the world has been changed several times. What is the current communication about the end of the world based on what you know? Yeah, it, I think it really depends on what generation um, the, the individual is from. So I was, you know, born in the 80s, so brought up in the 90s. And um, they had made the change at that point that you don't know the date, um, because they had predicted it was going to be 1914. And then they predicted in the 40s, they predicted in the 70s, and they just kept they kept messing it up. So that's when they turned around, they were like, you know what, there there is no date. And uh, um, they would always point out that if you knew when it was going to be, then it's not a real test, right? If you, if you know what's going on, you can, you can do whatever you want and then smarten up at the last minute. Um, so obviously that's not fair. So, um, we have to, we have to put everybody on, on, on level ground and it, it could be at any moment. So you have to make sure that you are on your toes at all times, um, because it, it'll happen. And once it happens, that'll be it. There were obviously like indications that, you know, were close. But I remember when I was maybe 17, um, one of the uh, one of the elders said something. I was like, oh, well, in 10 years, and he said, oh, well, we'll see if we get to 10 years. Like that was it, it was the times we are always in the end times at 9-11. That was the clear indication of, you know, end times, the hurricane season every every hurricane season you know Katrina that was a clear sign of the end times um I'm not involved um with the organization now but I'm very sure that 2020 is like they're freaking out fires and disease and all this other crap going on I, I can only imagine that they're losing it over that and there was going to be one indication that they would stop the preaching work that uh Jehovah was going to close the door um as he had closed the door when Noah went into the ark God closed the door and nobody was allowed in. That was that was what was going to happen. That was a parable that was used a lot. That Noah went into the ark and 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 God closed the door and and nobody could come in or out and it didn't start raining right away. They were in there for a little while waiting for the rain to come and then eventually it came and everybody outside who didn't believe Noah perished and he and his family were the ones to make it. So that's that's the comparison that they made and that was kind of what we were expecting. So as a kid who was naturally separated from the other kids at school, how aware were you of what other kids' lives were like versus your own? Yeah, yeah, I was very aware. I went to I went to public school. Like she was a single mother. <laughs> there was no way for that she was going to be able to homeschool me or keep me separate or keep me away from from any of that. Um she had to very much rely on outer outside sources. Um, so I, I, I knew that we were different. Um, and 
that was very much like, you know, you pride yourself on being different. That was, I, I very much remember that being said at meetings, you know, oh, people notice that. That's a good thing that you are, you are not part of the world. You don't want to be part of the world. You want to be different. You want people to notice that you're different um, because that's how you, you know, praise, you praise God that way. Um, so like, I, I knew that they were having birthdays and I wasn't having birthdays, but also, you know, my mother, as, as when I was very young, uh, she was very strict, um, and things didn't go well for her. And she ended up being disfellowshipped or, um, essentially kicked out, um, for, uh, getting involved with, uh, with a worldly man who she then ended up marrying, um, and then divorcing. Um, so that obviously huge, no, no, big, big problem. And, uh, even though she was disfellowshipped, we still didn't real like, we still believed that was the whole thing. She's like, I still believe it, but um, I've made a mistake and, and I have to sort myself out before I go back. But we still very much believe this. But in that time of believing it, um, you know, I was allowed to, there were, you know, his, my stepfather's family would have Christmas and it's like, okay, well, yes, we are here and they are having Christmas. We're not participating, but like, I could see it. It was all around me all of the time. Um, but I, I didn't really, I didn't really care. It wasn't a whole big deal because I had so many other things that had been happening that it just, and it wasn't, it was never something I had. So I never really thought of it really. To unlock the rest of this episode, visit patreon.com forward slash K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R. It's only $5 to unlock over 20 hours of content.